From Radio Vermont, it's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. It's your show about the people, places, and the issues that matter the most to you. Now here's your host, Dave Graham. Good morning, Vermont. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day or Columbus Day or whichever it is you uh, prefer to celebrate. Uh, we uh, have a good show lined up for you this morning on this October 12th, uh, Monday morning, and uh, we're going to be uh, speaking with Secretary of State Jim Condos and also with uh, Sonia Schuyler from the League of Women Voters. Uh, they are going to be uh, my guests in the first hour here. We're going to be talking about the upcoming election and uh, what voters need to be thinking about as they plan to vote in this uh coronavirus crisis. It's uh, going to be a little different this year for a lot of people, so we'll uh, be talking with these folks and, and about, about that in just a few minutes. In the um, uh, latter part of the program, we're going to be joined by Meredith Sumner and Albert Sabatini, two Montpelier residents who have uh, been joining a local organizing effort to get people following election issues very closely. Uh, they are worried, and the group they belong to is worried about the uh, President's uh, recent remarks that uh, he may not uh, support a peaceful transfer of power should he lose the election to uh, Joe Biden. And uh, what would happen then? What would people need to do? Uh, how would average American citizens uh, make their voices heard in such a circumstance? Uh, this is, of course, uh, never happened before in U.S. history that a president uh, refuses to leave office and perhaps calls his uh, supporters uh, out to uh, make some kind of a ruckus. We don't know exactly uh, how all of that would unfold, but uh, certainly the president has not renounced uh, such an idea, and uh, we'll have to uh, see what happens there. But uh, meanwhile, uh, folks are planning for it, uh, different eventualities here, and uh, we'll have Meredith Sumner and Howard Sabatini talking with us about all of that in the second hour. In the uh, in between, we're hoping to line up one of our uh, CBS News correspondents to talk to us a little bit about. I especially want to ask about the impact of the uh, Amy uh, Coney Barrett uh, Supreme Court nomination hearings, which get underway today. And I'm wondering what kind of an impact we expect that uh, those might have on the election campaign in its final weeks. Of course, uh, tomorrow marks the three-week mark from the November third election day and of course uh, uh, more, more than election day we're, as I've mentioned previously we're really in, in election season uh, when many people have already cast ballots and uh, mailed them off or delivered them to uh, polling places and drop boxes etc around the country and we want to get an update on that situation uh, from Secretary of State Jim Condos uh, and from uh, Sonia Schuyler of the Vermont uh, League of Women Voters. I know uh, Secretary Condos is with us on the phone. Thank you very much, Mr. Secretary, for joining us this morning. Uh, you're quite welcome, David. And do we have Sonia Schuyler with us? Uh, we do not. Uh, and um, we'll perhaps uh, try to line her up in just a little bit here on the Dave Graham Show on WDEV, FM, and AM. But uh, Secretary Condos wanted to check in with you and find out uh, what you're hearing ab out there about uh, the numbers of uh, Vermonters who have already uh, cast ballots in this uh, election. Uh, well, as of 8.30 this morning, I just got an update, and the number who, uh, of uh, people who have actually returned their ballots back to the clerks is now 88,500. 
and that's with two weeks to go. So let me give you a perspective. In 2016, the last presidential election, total number of absentee and early votes, that means walking in uh, to the polls and stuff, was 91,000. So we're within 3,000 of that, uh, and I would assume we will go by that over the day today. Wow. This is uh, this is quite a phenomenon, and it is. Are you hearing that uh, many of the people out there are? I mean, is it is it a case where people are just chomping at the bit because they're very interested in the outcome of this election, or is it a case where people really are worried about the coronavirus and trying to avoid uh, what might otherwise be a situation of lining up at the polls on uh, on November third? Well, you know, that's a hard hard one to answer, David. I think that. Uh we should put it in perspective. I think certainly there's a lot of people who want to do this uh, from a political standpoint that, that they're just engaged in politics right now. And secondly, I think there's an awful lot of people who are trying to um, avoid close contact with people, um, uh, especially people they don't know and who they may have been in contact with uh, at the polls. And, and uh uh, so I think it's a little bit of both, but I think, you know, I always say people, you know, the, the press always asks me, what do you think the voter turnout's going to be? And I always say it, it depends on a lot of different factors. And one of those being, uh, what races are on, on the ballot. The second being how contentious are any of those races? And are the, the contentious races the ones near the top or are they down the ticket? So, those are all factors that play into how the voter turnout will be, uh, but we're expecting to have a strong turnout. We typically, we've averaged, I think, over the last three or four presidential years, around 316,000 Vermonters um, uh, actually voting, um, turning out. So um, we suspect we'll go by that number, but. Uh, uh, as to what, how high I, ha- I can't give you any idea. Around you said three hundred and fifteen thousand Vermonters, typically, or has has been the average in recent presidential elections? Yes, in the last three or four presidential elections, voter turnout has generated about three hundred and fifteen, three hundred and sixteen thousand average uh, number of voters. And what percentage is that of eligible voters in the state? Oh, that's a great question. We have, so if you, uh, from our website, you can see that as of the end of September, we had 495,000 people actually registered. Um, but some of those voters are challenge, what we call challenge voters. Those challenge voters were not sent ballots. Uh, they can still vote. They can still show up at the polls. But for one reason or another, uh, the, the local board of civil authority in each town uh, has, has sent a challenge letter and received no response, and therefore those folks fall onto a list. They're still registered, but they're a, what we call a challenge list, uh, and they would have to show up and affirm that they are still uh, a, a, an eligible voter uh, at that point. We sent out ballots to about 440,000 voters, and the clerks have been sending out additional, so we've got about 440,000. Uh, it's approaching 450,000 that have been sent ballots so far. All right. Um, and I'm wondering if the uh, 
the sense is that we are going to have an unusually high turnout this time, and would you attribute that to, uh, I mean, that's what I'm hearing, and and, uh, and I'm wondering, do you, do you attribute that more to the uh, just the heightened interest in politics these days among the citizenry, or is that going to be a function of uh, this new availability and really not not so much new availability, but new promotion and interest in in um, absentee and mail-in voting. Um, the whole goal that we when we started back planning for this general election back in February, our whole goal uh, was premised on two factors: one, to, to uh, protect the voting rights of every eligible Vermonter. That's the, and that's always. Uh, on the top of our list. The second one, because of the COVID, was that we wanted to protect the health and safety of not only our voters, but also our poll workers and our town clerk. And that's why we've moved in this direction. That's why we've, we, we had a huge success in the, in the, um, statewide primary. And that was because, uh, we sent postcards, which we've never done before to everybody. Uh, every eligible active voter, uh, to see if they wanted to request. And, and to put it bluntly, we had more vote by mail in the primary. The number of vote by mail, uh, by itself would have set a new turnout record for the primary. Uh, and then we had all the folks that did walk in. You know, if you look back, David, to uh, back in April when, when, uh, Wisconsin had their state primary, they had hours long lines for people to get in. Um, people were not social distanced. They were not wearing masks at that point. And, uh, as a result, they had ended up with, um, 60, 60 plus, uh, people that we know of at this point, uh, that contracted COVID. Uh, we've seen the hours-long lines in other states. I, I don't think we would ever have hours-long lines, but I, I do think that it, it could have been problematic uh, here in Vermont. And basically, you know, we, we worked with the governor. We talked to the governor about this. Um, he said he did not have um, any um, opposition to vote by mail, but he was concerned uh, that we didn't need to make the decision right away that we could wait until after the primary but I informed him that we needed we needed all that time to just prepare it was not like we could flip a switch and just say okay we're going to go to vote by mail we had we had a lot of logistics that we had to do in the meantime so this, there was a lot of factors that went into this the elections team I'm so proud of my elections team uh, they've been doing a lot of the hard work they've been working literally sometimes seven days a week uh you know, working 12 hours a day at, at times. Um, and, and I can't say enough about our hardworking town clerks across the state of Vermont. They have been tremendous to work with. We've been providing as much support as we can to them. Um, <laughs> you know, some of the costs that we've picked up that the towns didn't have to pick up, with, for instance, in sending the ballots out, we picked up all that cost. Um, uh, especially the postage cost, uh, for outgoing ballots and, and for the return ballots. Uh, we also, um, have provided PPE, uh, uh, you know, uh, face masks, face shields, gloves, um, 
hand sanitizer, uh, hand uh, sanitizing wipes to each and every polling location. Uh, we've worked with the town clerk to maintain all polling places in Vermont. Um, so, you know, we, we've done a lot for them. We, we, we helped them. Uh, we provided funding for uh, the uh, drop boxes, some of them floor-mounted and some of them wall-mounted. They all have to be secure. Um, so there's just, a, there's just a lot of expenses that have, that have been picked up by the state via, uh, frankly, the, the uh, CARES Act money that we received specific to uh, elections. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of been exciting to see everybody kind of rally around this and, and uh, the, the eventual success that we're having. Uh, through your association, the National, National Association of Secretaries of State, I'm wondering, um, and any others that you may belong to, I wonder if you are following uh, what is happening uh, on uh, election preparations and election, con- you know, the conduct of ongoing elections really in other places around the country, or are you so busy in Vermont that you don't really have a, have the time to do that? A little bit of both. Uh, <laughs> uh, um <laughs> So I'm now. I, Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to ask you, sort of, what what your sense is of uh, of how things are going in other states. I mean, it sounds like uh, things are pretty well in hand in Vermont, and that you are confident that we're we're going to be able to uh, have an election that uh, uh, goes off uh, relatively smoothly. Uh, although I do want to press you a little bit about the the primary produced a, a, a number, quite a number of thousands, I believe it was, of. Um, Spoiled ballots, basically, from people who were uh, unable or whatever to uh, uh, to uh, follow the instructions or didn't want to follow the instructions or something. And I'm wondering um, the uh, uh, your sense. I mean, I I know it's going to be easier just because the process is the elections process itself is a little simpler uh, this time. Uh, But I'm wondering if um, if you have any. Any, let's actually talk about that first and then we'll go to the internet or the, the, the multi-state or other parts of the country, uh, situation. And, and the question goes to, um, have we been able to fix the problem that resulted in so many rejected ballots back in August? So typically, well, first of all, typically Vermont is like 1% or less, um, of, of what we call, um, uh, rejected ballots and, and, uh, in the primary, there was it was actually as high as three percent, a little over three percent, three three and a half percent, which was a concern for us. And then we looked at uh, started look. We, all those numbers are not in as yet. The, the town courts have sixty days to provide all the information into the system. But what we've seen, there were three main reasons why ballots were rejected. One, uh, and one of the main ones is that they didn't sign the envelope as they were supposed to. Uh, it said it said on the envelope uh, that you have to if you, the instructions on the envelope that there was also uh, should have been a, a instruction sheet from the town clerk uh, that, that uh, uh, provided that information and, and instructions. Um, and so that was one is they didn't fill out and sign the the, the um, uh, certificate envelope, and that is um, really, I'd say, the main reason. But the other main reason, really, is is 
you were supposed to also you were supposed to put your voted ballot into the voted envelope, which is that certificate envelope. Print your name and sign it. Your other two ballots were not to be discarded. They were to be put into the unvoted envelope and sent back to the town clerk in the same envelope with, with your certificate envelope. So those were the probably the top two reasons why people had their ballots rejected was they didn't follow the, those instructions. And the, <coughs> excuse me, the the third reason is that they may have voted two ballots instead of one because. Really, you're, we run three elections on, on, uh, primary day. It's a Republican election, a progressive election, and a Democratic election. Those are three separate election processes. And that's why we send three ballots, you pick one, you, and you only vote one, and then you, you have, still have to send back the other two. Um, so those were the three main reasons why ballots were rejected. Flip to the, general election, since we were doing the mailing, uh, we have a very consistent, clear, concise uh, instruction sheet that went in to every envelope to simply explain the process. But the biggest factor is that we have only one ballot going out in the, in the general election. So there's the other two ballots were not going to be there. Uh, it, it, it was not going to confuse them. You only had one ballot. You put that one ballot into the certificate envelope. You fill out the certificate envelope and sign it and send the whole thing back in the return envelope. So it yeah. was pretty simple. And we, we actually provided the uh, instruction sheet this time for every envelope to ensure that it got in there. When can uh, town and city clerks uh, counting the ballots in this in this election? So they can start counting as far as 30 days in advance of the election, and let me explain that process as well. Uh, we also have uh, Sonia Schuyler. She is with the uh, League of Women Voters here in Vermont, and uh, we have uh, tracked her down, and uh, she's uh, with us on the line right now. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Ms. Schuyler. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, I, I should, I should, uh, I wanted to get back to a, a question I was starting to ask Secretary Condos just before the break, uh, and then I'll have a couple of questions for you as well. I do believe, and uh, Se- Secretary Condos, I was asking you about the um, about the uh, sort of I don't think it's a deadline so much as an op- I guess the opening date for uh, the counting of all these early ballots that are coming in to begin in Vermont. Did you say 30 days the clerks can start counting them? Well, they can start processing them. So let me let me just be uh, very clear about how this works. So mm-hmm. we have about um, 140 towns out of the 246 that use vote tabulators. Uh, that's an optic scan machine that all it does is scan the ballot uh, and and stores it in the, in a secure box underneath the, the scanner. Um, they can start processing. So when a, when a ballot comes back in the mail, the, the town clerk has two people, usually one of each party, um, that will bring those mails in, open up the envelope, pull out the certificate envelope, then check off the voter on the checklist that this person has voted. Then they'll open that certificate envelope. One person pulls out the ballot flips it over and hands it to the other person who then flips it into the scanner to scan the ballot. The only thing 
that anybody, whether it's the town clerk or the poll workers, uh, election workers, the only thing that they know is one ballot was passed into the machine. There is no total that is given to them at that point. In fact, they can't access that total until the election is officially uh, uh, designated as over. And when I say that, there's a process where they slip a, a if you want to call it a, it's an, we call it an ender card into the machine, and the machine, the ender card tells the machine, this election's over, go ahead and tabulate the results. Then the clerk, using a special key, will, will um, access a, a uh, if you want to call it a receipt, that gives her, that prints out the total for all the races that were on that ballot. So okay. that can't happen until after 7 o'clock on, on election night. But they can process, and they, they will know at the end of the day, we've processed 100 ballots today. Tomorrow they'll know that they've processed another 100 ballots. Uh, so that, that's the only thing that they will know is the number of ballots that have been passed through the machine. In the hand count towns, and that, as I said, it's a little over 100 towns, those hand count towns can do the same process of, Opening the the envelope, pulling out the certificate envelope, checking the voter off, removing the ballot from the certificate envelope, and then sticking that into a secure ballot box. Um, and those are kept in the vault as well. So there is a process that's involved. Um, and and by the way, the town clerks may keep those uh, uh, certificate envelopes uh, if, in case they're needed for anything. Uh, for a period of time after the election. Okay, I believe we had a, uh, a listener calling in. Uh, if Jim is still on the line, he gets the award so far today for patience. Uh, good morning, Jim. Hi. Good morning and happy Monday. Um, my mom you. is my mom's a super senior, and she has an ocular vision. <coughs> and um, if her hand and well, she's going to drop it off at the town clerk's office. And she's wondering if some of the circles look like ovals when she's filling it out. Will it be counted? If some of the sure. circles look like ovals. You well, mean if she, she, if she just outlined the, the circle rather than fill it in? Right, that's the question. How can the vote really be counted because she's concerned and sure. um, she wants to be independent filling this out? Yep. And, and we want her to be independent as well. We also have uh, a visually impaired uh, process that can be accessed at the clerk's office but uh, or at the polling location. Um, it, it was designed not just for visually impaired but for it's fully ADA compliant. So uh, I, I just want to say that first. But, but here, So the, the thing is we get all kinds of ballots that come through, and sometimes people will circle the name rather than fill in the ballot. Sometimes they'll put an X next to the name or an X in that in that um, oval. Uh, sometimes they'll just put a check mark or or just rest the pen on it and, and leaves a dot. The, what Vermont is what is called a voter intent state, which means that the Board of Civil Authority, when they close the polls on seven o'clock, the first thing they do is go through the ballots. They pull the ballots out and they go through the ballots to look for write-ins. That may not have been recorded because uh, they don't get picked up by the scanner they, unless the, the oval was filled, uh, filled in. But we need still need to know the names. 
Um, well, they, also, um, they also look for uh, examples like this to determine the voters' intent. Uh, okay, so uh, I know you're um, breaking. Uh, so she can go to yep. a town clerk and get assistance? Absolutely. Thank you. Alrighty, thanks for the call, Jim. Hey, we do need to take a bottom of the hour break. We'll be back shortly with my guests, uh, Jim Condos and uh, Sonia Schuyler of the, uh, Jim is the uh, Secretary of State. Sonia's with the League of Women Voters. We'll be back shortly, folks. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. News Radio, WDEV, FM, and AM. Now back to the Dave Graham Show. We are back and continuing our discussion about the uh, election, which is already underway. Uh, election Day, of course, is November 3rd, but many people in Vermont have uh, voted already and are continuing to do so. The ballots uh, continue to show up by mail and by drop drop off at uh, city and town clerk's offices around Vermont. And we're talking with uh, Secretary of State Jim Condos and with... Uh, Sonia Schuyler of the uh, uh, Vermont League of Women Voters. And uh, Sonia, <laughs> thanks for uh, not only uh, finally getting together with us this morning, but also being patient while we cleared the decks on some things. But uh wanted to uh, get a couple of questions into you now, if I could. And, and one is, um, wh- what, is the, uh, wh- what is the role of the League of Women Voters in working to, uh, to help uh, facilitate the election and get out the vote and so on? Well, we have historically worked with Secretary of State's office in terms of making sure we have good information to get out to voters. And we are using a lot of different venues to get this message out. We put message out on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, we've also had some newspaper advertisements. We realize that different age groups, tend to go to different media, and so we're trying to use all the media we can, including your wonderful invitation to your show, to get the message out to people um, about the voting and how to do it. Um, we were concerned that there were people who still um, didn't understand how to use the uh, absentee ballots for the primary, and so we're going again to explain to people um, how to fill out the ballot and get it in the right envelopes uh, for the general election. And uh, what what kinds of concerns are you hearing from voters? Are people coming to you and just talking about any any worries that they have about the way this is happening? Well, we do hear people who are still concerned about the security of the ballot, and I know. Um, Secretary Condos has gone through the ballot casting uh, process for your listeners. And also, I think it might be helpful if he could talk a little more about some of the other things that the Secretary of State's office has in place to guard against scamming and other kinds of um, electronic attacks on our voting process. 
Well, that uh, is a nice opening for uh, Secretary uh, Condos, uh, Jim Condos. I'm wondering, uh, how would you answer that question uh, from Sonia Schuyler of the League of Women Voters? What sort of security measures are in place to give voters uh, that confidence you want them to have? So, first of all, I, I'm not. I think um, Sonia, thanks for thanks for being on today, and thanks for the League of Women Voters and all they're doing to help us uh, uh, with with the election. We really appreciate it. Uh, anything that gets more voters involved and engaged in our democratic process is, is important to us uh, as well as to our democracy. Um, but I, I think it's really kind of a twofold question. One, I think, uh, first of all, we are extremely confident um, that, that no one can get into our systems and change any votes anywhere. First of all, our vote tabulators are not connected to the Internet by either Wi-Fi, hardwire, remote access. They're just not connected. They're standalone units. Uh, the clerks then uh, get that information off the, off the uh, computer on the, on the, the scanner and, uh, and submit that to our office. Our office's uh, election uh, IT systems, actually all of our office's IT systems, uh, not just elections, are pretty much in a, in a strong lockdown position. We have several layers of firewalls. We have a weekly uh, cyber hygiene scan that's conducted by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, we've contracted with a Vermont company to monitor um, uh, any access to us or anybody, any uh, attempts to access. We actually monitor it as well. Um, we also have uh, what we call a Albert monitor. Uh, it's provided by the Center for Internet Security, which tracks um, all incoming traffic to our system and sends it back to their uh, location where they can uh, <coughs> where they can uh, uh, look uh, for any potential uh, information that our uh, IP address is trying to get in. Uh, we do a daily backup of our voter registration system so that uh, should something happen, uh, it, you know, you always have to plan for the worst. So we plan that someone might actually be fortunate enough to access our system, and if they tried to destroy the voter registration system, they would not be able to because we have it backed up, and we do it every day. Um, we also, the ultimate is we have same-day voter registration, so even if, if something did happen, and someone walked into the door at the polling location and the polls say you're not registered, they can register on the spot and and uh, uh, go ahead and vote. So we have a lot of those things in place. And as far as the uh, the mail-in ballots, so the ballots that went out, we, we know where what addresses they went to. We know whose name was on that, that address. Um, we... Each envelope within the envelope uh, that was mailed out, uh, the certificate envelope, on one side the person fills it out under penalty of perjury, um, which uh, is a pretty significant jail time and, and, and uh, fine. On the other side, there's a, uh, a name, the name of the person that the ballot was sent to. It was also their voter ID number that's in our system. Um, and a barcode to assist the clerks in processing them faster. So, and then when the clerk goes to enter that ballot into the system, 
they check off that voter, and that voter then will not be allowed to vote in another location in Vermont because the system will will pop up and say to the the clerk, this person's already voted. So, or And the same goes if they try to register in another town. It'll say, this person has registered in in town A um, and uh, uh, needs to be verified before we can allow them to move move forward with this new registration address. We also have automatic voter registration (coughs) through the DMV where we get a daily update from the Department of Motor Vehicles of any address changes, any new new uh, licensees that come in, and, and if they didn't opt out, they will automatically be registered to vote, and otherwise we will automatically change their address as well. Since people generally, Dave, remember to go to the uh, DMV to change their address when they when they move, but they don't remember necessarily to go to their town clerk. And, and change their uh, voting address. What happens when somebody moves out of state? Well, on the on the voter registration form, there is a, a, a question that's asked, uh, and whether you do it online on our system or not, uh, that is asked, where were you last registered? If they do not, we don't have really access to anything out of state. Uh, but generally what happens is if, if someone moves from Vermont, say, to Connecticut, uh, and that, I say that because we get a lot of emails from Connecticut, uh, Connecticut, uh, the town clerk in the Connecticut will then forward back to us and say, this per- please remove this person from your voter checklist. They've now registered in, in Connecticut. And we do the same for them uh, where we send it back. There, within Vermont, it's very simple to, because we've automated that, that technology, using technology, uh, that, that a town clerk can just with a couple of quick clicks send a note to a, a, the new address or the new town or the old town, let them know to remove this person from the checklist. Um, we also are in the process of becoming a member of a, of a uh, state-owned, uh, there's about 30 states that are part of it, uh, called ERIC. It's Electronic Registration Information Consortium. Um and what we do is, uh, it, it's a very secure, very uh, anonymized process. But we, we submit our data for our voter registration after an election, and they can send it back to us and tell us uh, if that person, not only if that person had moved or whatever, we can we can find out if they're registered in another state. We can also find out if they participated in the same election in another state, um, so that, that we will know. That information. So uh, we're in process of, of joining that. Uh, we we are a member. Uh, we just haven't set up everything uh, uh, from an from an IT perspective as yet. Uh, Sonia, I wanted to ask you, uh, Sonia Schuyler of the uh, League of Women Voters, we had an interesting question from a gentleman who called in just before the bottom of the hour break who was asking about uh, his uh, elderly mom uh, who has a visual uh, uh, deficit and um, was worried about uh, whether her uh, vote was going to be recorded accurately and actually executed accurately, and et cetera. And... Uh, it, can the does does the league help out in situations like that? If you are that if that same person, would would he be wise to uh, to call you and ask you folks for advice or help? Well, we would um, direct them to this uh, system that the town clerks have now specifically 
for um, voters with disabilities. That's one way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, a person can receive help filling out their ballot from a, a certain people depending on their situation, and so we would give them that information. Um, but, I, you know, Secretary Condos did provide the information for this caller. Uh, yep. One of the so, wonderful uh, things about Vermont's voting system is, yes, we have the technology with the scanners, but we've got that paper ballot so that um, there is that record, and you would they would see her intent, even if the circle wasn't full, filled out absolutely perfectly. I uh, I have probably uh, myself when filling out those ovals. Uh, I don't know. After a while, your hand gets tired or something, and there have probably been times when I've left a tiny little part of the oval white, <laughs> uncovered by the black ink of the pen. Uh, and I suspect that uh, that hasn't been a problem. I hope anyway, because uh, the um, it's uh, pretty clear when you look. I'm not marking at all any of the other ovals near the other candidates. If I vote for one candidate, and etc. So I think um, I think the intent is is uh, fairly discernible. In fact, quite discernible. Um, let's see. I believe we have another caller on the line. I missed the name, but they're from Roxbury. <laughs> good morning, Brian from Roxbury. Okay, good morning, Brian. Hi, good morning, Dave. Uh, I just wanted to uh, let somebody know that I've received two ballots in the mail, one from my town clerk in Roxbury, but also from the town clerk in Waterbury, which I, I do own property there, but I've never lived or registered to vote there. And just, I mean, I'm not going to do anything about it. I understand that, but um, I just thought people should know that people are getting duplicate ballots. Wow. Okay. Uh, Jim Condos, what do you... So, so Ryan, I, I had obviously I have no no way of knowing why that happened, but but I would contact the one where you are not living, uh, contact that town clerk and ask them to remove you from the uh, checklist and tell them that that this was sent to you in error, and they will tell you whether to send it back to them or to destroy it. Uh, either way, um, I was planning on doing that. Didn't, but go ahead. But well, that's what I plan to do. Um, I just thought that people should be aware. If if it happens once, it probably happens more than once. Oh yeah, it's it's happened before. There's, there's certainly uh, other examples of similar situations. We had some where the name was spelled different, but it was to the same person. Uh, so you know, these are these are things that uh, have to be clear, cleaned up in the in the voter checklist. But the clerks can't necessarily do that without help from the voter itself. No, another question while I have you on the line is, as I understand it, I could go down this week to my town clerk's office in Roxbury and either hand them the ballot or can I, can I vote or I can do that in person? Absolutely. So, so let me just, uh, really vote by mail is really just provides a, a, another option for the voter. Uh, so the voter receives the ballot in the mail. They can fill it out, put it back in the return envelope and send it back to their town clerk by mail. They can walk into their uh, town clerk's office. I would check to make sure that they're open or see what their hours are first. But uh, they can mm-hmm. walk into their town clerk and um, and drop it off in the early vote period leading up to uh, the election. Uh, many of the town clerks, we have over 200, I think, that in the state have out of 200, roughly 250 that have secure ballot drop boxes. Some of them are secured uh, to the cement. Uh, 
They're stand-up, uh, stand-alone units. And the others are bolted to the wall. Uh, some of them are within the house, in the, in the office, and some of them are outside. But they're secure drop boxes to be able to drop your ballots off, and they they clean those out periodically. Um, or you can walk into your your poll location on election day. Uh, you can hand in your ballot then, or you can actually vote and get pull, pull another ballot and vote. If we do recommend that you bring your ballot with you when you go to the poll location, um, in any case, just to be sure. Otherwise, they'll, they may ask you to sign an affidavit, uh, just saying that you haven't voted previously. So, uh, there's, it really, like I said, it just provides a, a, another option to make it easier for you to vote. Okay, well, I'll do that. I'll, I'll check with both town clerks. Right. Thanks for the call, Brian. And uh, Secretary Jim Condos, I, I did promise to ask you what you can tell us about uh, kind of what is going on in other states. I hear a lot of worry out there, you know, national commentators and so on and so forth. Uh, the President of the United States has been very uh, negative about the idea of uh, mail-in ballots, and, uh, he, and there is a lot of speculation out there that... Uh, uh, he may be pushing for uh, voting to uh, vote county rather to stop on the I guess the night of November 3rd uh, and uh, that in many states uh, the mail-in ballots may take more time to count and there's uh, expected to be a fair amount of uncertainty in many places as to as to uh, the winner of the uh, presidential election and so uh, sort all this out for us uh, or, I mean it, it sounds like Vermont has things pretty well in hand but what about other states around the country so um, first let me just say that here in Vermont and, and partly because we allow the clerks to process ballots ahead of time uh, we expect to know the unofficial results on election night and David you probably remember that after the primary, uh, where we set a voter turnout record, um, and we had the same uh, directions to our town clerks um, then. Um, we had 98% of polls reporting in by midnight that night. So we fully expect to have the unofficial results. The unfortunate thing here is, and I, and I want to be really clear, this is not, should not, and is not partisan, but the unfortunate thing is the president's comments are not helpful to our election process, to our democratic process. Um, and, you know, he's making these wild accusations without any evidence. In fact, when he's asked, he's not provided any. Uh, there are some isolated instances, but in general, there really is no wide systemic voter fraud. What <coughs> some of his comments are actually intended to really to, to, in my view, to suppress the vote, uh, to make people scared about going to vote. Uh, and, and this is un, really unfortunate. Um, I, I certainly hope that that's not the case. I, I can tell you that many of my colleagues across this country, Republican and Democratic, uh, are, are uh, very concerned about the president's comments. Uh, and, and, you know, we are, uh, we are all interested in making sure that the integrity of our elections and our election process are followed and are, are secure. And, and the, the idea that we will know the vote, the winner on election night is not something that you're going to hear from town clerk or from election, state election officials. Um, that, 
with all due respect, David, that is really coming from mostly from the, the media. They're the ones that make these uh, declarations. Our process, for instance, here in Vermont, we do not certify the election until Tuesday after the election, so a week later. Some states it's 14 days later, some states it's 21 days later. This year, you've seen uh, a large number of states that have, have said that they will accept postmark ballots up to three days after, seven days after, and in, I think, California's case, 14 days after. Um, so those ballots still have to be counted. Uh, so that means that the election results will not be known necessarily, uh, you know, for the official results will not be known for a couple of weeks. And then we have, of course, the Electoral College uh, for the president, uh, for the presidency. So um, there's a lot of different moving parts here. Uh, I can tell you that Republican and Democratic secretaries across this country are intent on providing secure uh, of election processes with integrity. Um, you know, keep in mind, as I think you know, David, we have 50 states and 50 sets of, of uh, rules of how the votes are, are tallied, of how the votes are processed. Um, it, it's, there's no single system uh, in place. Uh, so uh, I just tell people to be patient um, and, uh, you know, to understand that the results on, on election night, even if we can't, we cannot certify the election on election night. It's impossible for us to do that. Uh, right. It's so, so, uh, it, it's really a moot point, but the, the, the president continues to push that, uh, statement out there and it's really unfortunate and makes all of us cringe. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are about out of time. We've got a couple callers on the line. If I hope they can uh, try again after the top of the hour break with some CBS News and for the uh, uh, couple words from our sponsors. But we actually have a little open phone time uh, just after uh, the 10 o'clock break, and I'm uh, happy to talk with you folks uh, then. So uh, stay on the line or give us a call back in a few minutes, and uh, we'll do that. Meanwhile, let's let's go to some CBS News at the top of the hour, and I want to thank my guests, my first-hour guests, uh, uh, Secretary State uh, Jim Condos and uh, Sonia Schuyler of the uh, League of Women Voters. Thank you very much. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. Now back to the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. Thanks for staying with us into the second hour of this uh, Monday morning show, October the 12th, 2020. And uh, we have a few minutes to uh, take uh, listener calls uh, and and uh, hope that folks will check in with us. Let us know what you think about the upcoming election. That's the focus of today's program. We... Um, uh, our local number here in Waterbury, I should say, is 244-1777. The toll-free number is 1-877-291-8255 or 291-TALK. And uh, let's see, do we still have uh, Forbes from Corinth on the line with us? Yes, I'm right here. Good morning, uh, Forbes. <clears throat> I have a question. 
when the mm-hmm. ballots uh, were sent out uh, for voting, where did the list of individuals, addresses, and whatnot uh, come from originally? Uh, my understanding is that, uh, and unfortunately we don't have uh, Jim Condos with us to give us the official answer to the question, but I'll take my best stab at this. Uh, my understanding, is, and uh, by the way, uh, any of the other listeners out there who want to uh, call in and correct what I'm about to say, uh, more than welcome, uh, because uh, we got to go to the hive mind here to some extent. But uh, uh, my understanding is that the uh, uh, I've heard uh, Secretary Condos use the phrase active voters, which I believe means people who have been registered and are on the voter rolls uh, and uh, uh, and and they are uh, you know recorded recorded at the t- city or town clerk's offices in their communities and uh, so they uh, they were uh, mailed those ballots at their uh, addresses okay the reason i ask this i have a friend of mine whose father has been deceased 5 years and received a, <clears throat> a ballot at at their home or his, uh, her mother's home and the town clerk uh, the, you know, the town and municipality that he lives in was well aware of his death due to uh, death certificates. So I was wondering how he received a ballot when it was uh, locally known that he had been deceased and not a voter for years. Uh, I think that is an error on the part of the town clerk's office, apparently. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think I suspect that what happens is that some of the uh, uh, in some places, there's going to be turnover in these offices, and maybe the uh, the person who actually processed the the mailing of the ballot uh, didn't uh, wasn't aware that this person uh, had died previously, or said, "Hmm, I still have a registered voter here on the list." Uh, perhaps there's a junior or uh, another person who happens to share the same name or something. Uh, and uh, and I think there has been a fairly um, uh, a fairly aggressive effort to, to uh, get get ballots out to, to the uh, maximum number of, of voters that we think may be out there, and so that could be coming into play as well. Um, I think well, it's it, uh, it, obviously. Yeah, I, I it's hope a good the voters one to follow will follow up on because uh, apparently yeah. the clerks were given uh, town clerks were given a list of who the ballots were to go out to. It was generated somewhere else other than the local um, knowledge of the voters within the town. So, yeah, I mean, you can follow up on that. It would be interesting. As to whether yeah, the only place, and, and uh, you know, I, I, if anybody from the Secretary of State's office is still listening, uh, we welcome to call us back and, and fill us in. But I, I think, aside from the clerk's office, is the only place that logically would have come from uh, I mean, my first uh, my first guess would be the Secretary of State's office if there's a statewide voter checklist, uh, which yeah, I think I'll, there is. I'll follow up on it with the town clerk and find out what yeah. list they actually used and whether right. it was something that they generated and sent forward or whether there was another list that was given to them. Okay. Yeah, no and, and you know, Forbes, I, I think what we may learn in the course of this thing is that uh, voters bear some responsibility for uh, for correcting mistakes. Um, you know, remember the clerks 
are human beings and the systems are designed by human beings and they're not going to be flawless. Uh, and I don't think it's anybody's intent to, to defraud anybody or whatever, but sometimes uh, these these things do come down with uh, mistakes and mailing lists and so on. Uh, and, uh, and, and it is, uh, if you know of, uh, so for instance, someone in your community who got a ballot but who has, who's died, uh, that you make a call to your town clerk and just say, what do we do about this? Uh, this person has passed and got a ballot and, uh, uh, we need to fix that, obviously. So anyway, thank you for the call. I think, uh, you know, okay, these are, these are going to be. Board of Civil Authority does anyway. Yeah. Okay. And so they, they update and go through the list of voters to see who's eligible or not, who's moved or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Import, right important function, and I hope it's uh, happening as we speak in communities around go. Vermont. Thanks very much for the call, Forbes. I know. Hey, let's go to uh, David in Burlington. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? I always enjoy hearing uh, Jim Condos. He's perhaps my favorite public servant in the state. I think he does a terrific job, and it was really interesting to me to hear him um, sound one of the notes that I've been attempting to sound in conversations with friends, um, and that is that um, we don't get an official count on election night. Um, it never has. I, I have a lot of no. Um, I I have a lot of friends who think this is going to be a relatively you know that that because the polls look like Biden is um, way ahead, that means that things are going to go his way, and that we're going to know it. Um, there's a piece in the Atlantic by Barton Gelman, gosh, weeks ago now, but it's really stuck mm-hmm. with me. Just about all the things that can and may very well go wrong on the national level. Um, yeah, because. Because Trump has convinced his supporters that they should go to the polls and that um, mail-in voting is is problematic, and also that uh, COVID is pretty much a hoax and nothing to be worried about, the in-person voting is going to be quite Republican-leaning. On this is you know part of what Gelman said in this article that um, on election night it's going to look like Trump is doing very very well. And based on what we know about Trump, I think it's pretty likely Trump's going to stand up uh, late that night and say, hey, look, folks, uh, uh, I'm winning the election. Don't let the Democrats steal it from you. Um, And then we have uh, this period in between uh, voting day and inauguration day when uh, all kinds of uh, chaos ensues. Um, What do you think is going to happen? When do you think we're going to know? Uh, the result of the presidential election, and how do you think things are going to go? I boy, I don't know. I I think we're all facing a situation we've never really seen before, which in which the president of the United States, the incumbent president, uh, is working pretty hard to undermine confidence in the election and the and the overall conduct of the election. And uh, yeah, uh, that's just unprecedented. We, I've never seen a circumstance like that before, and. Uh, I mean, he he uh, he was installed in the White House after the Electoral College vote in 2016, and still called that that election rigged and a fraud and whatever. So yeah, I just yeah, you know, uh, it, it, it. So I think I, I and and you've got to remember that the president is an amazingly powerful individual. I mean, the most powerful individual in the country, clearly, and 
and even with the best of intentions and in the best of times, et cetera, that's the case. Uh, here we have yeah. someone who uh, is, uh, as I say, really working pretty hard to uh, undermine this idea that we can have a free and fair, free and fair election, and uh, and is talking when you about some, you know when you have somebody like you have somebody like Trump as president and somebody like Barr running justice, you got a pretty. Uh, uh, you, you've got an in, incredible weight behind uh, some bad ideas. Um, yeah. Well, keep well, up the good work. I, I, so I, I, I don't know. My only, you know, I would say, though, that there, and it, it, one thing that you've got to remember is that election laws and rules are different in different states. So I believe in, for instance, Vermont, the uh, the, the election results are typically certified, meaning made official uh, by the Secretary of State in, in consultation with major party representatives uh, a week after election day here. Uh, I think I just saw something where in California, and this makes sense, it's a much, much bigger state than Vermont is, so it might take more time, but in California I think the, the results are made official two weeks after uh, after the uh, the voting is done. And so, uh, and, I, and I'm sure that there's a spectrum there of states around the country. And so, you know, in terms of if you're asking me what what's likely to happen, some of what will be happening will be uh, state officials around the country saying, you know, we don't certify and make results official until X date. And um, and the president going on Twitter or going on Fox News and saying, um, I'm leaving right now, so I want to wrap this up tonight, basically. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, go ahead. I think we could have a case. I think we could very well have a number of states with the sort of hanging chads, Brooks Brothers riot um, nonsense going on for for weeks and um, just have a real period of uncertainty uh, leading up to Inauguration Day. And this thing could very well end up in the legislatures and in the Supreme Court. And uh, we know what's happening with the Supreme Court right now. Right, right. So there you go. Um, Basically... Power solidifies itself over time. That's uh, maybe what yep. we're seeing. David, i got to go, but thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Boy, we got uh, three weeks from tomorrow, I believe it is. We're going to have this little thing called Election Day. Of course, we're already in election season, really. We're uh, at polling places around the country. People have already been dropping off ballots or mailing in ballots, uh, going to uh, strong boxes and sticking their ballots through the slots and whatever else. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of folks who don't want to stand in line on November 3rd and uh, try to keep their social distance going and their masks up for hours on end while I wait to get their chance to register their uh, sentiments about the uh, about the political scene in the United States of America. Uh, we are going to be talking just in a moment with t- two Montpelier residents who are trying to get active and have getting active uh, with friends and uh, and folks around the country really uh, uh, asking the question, what do we do if, uh, if it looks like uh, this upcoming election kind of goes off the rails. And, uh, uh, but first, uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, finish up the, the phone calls with, uh, Fred for Newbury is checking in this morning. Good morning, Fred. Hey, morning. Hey, look, what, is there any constitutional, uh, plans if a president refuses to leave office? I mean, the president is the commander in chief, so he's got all the guns and the Congress doesn't have any guns. What can they do? 
Uh, Fred, I, I think that's a really uh, good question and, frankly, kind of a scary question. Uh, you can draw up all sorts of worst-case scenarios in terms of what might happen. I think one thing that we're learning now in this period of uh, general weirdness is that uh, uh, the conduct of American government really depends on people uh, behaving rationally and well and ethically and uh, actually caring about the preservation of the uh, of American government and you know people say don't overuse sports analogies here but but you know the NBA finals just happened last night congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers uh, who won the championship uh, and and uh, but imagine the Miami Heat being really uh, angry about the way the game went they think the refs blew the calls or whatever and and uh, as the game is winding down you know they they show up with guns right <laughs> they come out of the locker room with AR15s uh, and they are ready to uh Commit violence, yeah. Um, yeah, right? I, I mean, I that's not going to happen because both sides in this scenario actually respect the game. They, they, yeah, you know, everybody, everybody understands that uh, somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose, and that that's the way this goes down, and and uh, and everybody accepts that, and and all of the uh, all of the standard behaviors unfold, and you emerge from this event, from this uh, basketball. <laughs> Uh, series with a champion, uh, and and uh, and it used to be that American elections were pretty much, you know, they were hard fought, but people had enough respect for the process and for American democracy that you could ask them the question: Do you think there will be a peaceful transfer of power if you lose? And they would say, obviously, that's that's going to happen. It always has and always will, and that's the way we conduct ourselves. Uh, and, and now we have something different. And uh, and that's what uh, I think. That's what the one of the biggest issues is right now. I think that the uh, uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff would say this is no way to run the country. So they would give Lori Richardson, she's the commander of the Northern Command, authority for a coup d'état and throw the president out. I mean, she would become the new president of the United States. I've, I've read different scenarios where it could be the actual, actually, the Secret Service, which escorts them out of the building. Uh, who knows? But I mean, that's that's uh, uh, you know, let's just hope that uh, somehow uh, he, uh, what, if there's any coolness that can be acquired in that head, that it prevails. And uh, uh, and and uh, obviously, you know, I don't think the majority of the American people. Would stand for any president, Republican or Democrat, uh, who uh, just loses an so, election. So, so you're saying that the Secret Service is going to take over the country? Then? I I don't know. I, well, the Secret Service wouldn't take over the country. They would be, you know, in the scenario I've seen described, they they would actually physically remove the president from the White House, and then the the new president, assuming this all assumes that Joe Biden wins and Donald Trump loses, which is certainly not a fait accompli. Okay, so the the uh, so let's say Joe Biden wins the election, uh, Donald Trump is uh, refusing to leave, uh, and he uh, and then at the end of the day, if he finally refuses to leave, uh, the Secret Service would basically say it's time to go. And I guess, you know, a couple of their burlier people would each take an arm and say, let's go. And, um, I think you're right. 
and 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 then and Joe Boy, Joe Biden would be sworn in at that noon time on January twentieth, and the country would try to uh, resume some normalcy. Think so. Uh, and, right. You know, right. I think you got a good point. I think you got a good point. I. I, I, I mean, let's let's hope none of this happens. Let's let's hope that that you know Trump uh, was thought he was bluffing or something, even though. It, the, the you know the seriousness of this of the question and, and of the answer uh, really calls for somebody not to bluff. Uh, you know the the obvious answer is if I lose I go home. Um, you know yeah, and that's I'll, what I'll bet you, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that Trump will leave the White House if he loses. Well, you can do that, but you know what? A, a, a donut at Dunkin' Donuts these days is ninety nine cents. So the, the old dollars of donuts. Right, so thing. It's a ninety nine. I bet you ninety nine cents if he leaves the, the White House. I'll win ninety. Dollars are not any no longer that much more valuable than donuts. That's all I want to tell you. At least according to the pricing you get at Dunkin' Donuts. Hey, Fred, I gotta go. Um, thank you very much for the call. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, introduce our next guest. What a concept on a talk radio program. We have with us uh, Meredith Sumner. She is a uh, Montpelier resident and attorney, uh, uh, formerly worked for the uh, Legislative Council, uh, the uh, team of lawyers who uh, do do research on bills and draft bills and uh, advise lawmakers on uh, on how to uh, how to get a bill into law and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, Meredith Sumner, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Well, it's lovely to be to be here with you. And uh, Albert Sabatini also is with us, another Montpelier resident who is, has been involved in an effort to uh, try to imagine some of the scenarios which could unfold that we were just talking about with Fred and how uh, average American citizens ought to respond to uh, to any real weirdness, uh, I guess, which uh, some folks think could ensue. Um, and uh, Albert Sabatini, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Morning, Dave. Hey, uh, so um, let me uh, let me start with uh, you, Meredith, Meredith, and ask you. Uh, uh, obviously, from my conversations with, with Albert, I, we haven't talked really directly that much yet, uh, Meredith, on this stuff. But uh, but uh, I wanted to ask you. Uh, my understanding is the concern here is that there's there are sort of uh, scenarios which could unfold uh, around the election. Which um, people need to be prepared for, uh, you know, you, uh, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, kind of kind of st- strategy. Uh, what are some of the concerns and scenarios that you see as possible here? That's number two. Um, your your previous guest has brought up a lot of them, um, how I, and they resonate with me as well. There's um, just in the past four years, almost four years, the um, the whole tenor and the downgrade of everything, it makes this election very, very important. And the um, the possibility of a free and fair election is really being threatened. And I've been involved in politics since I was a little kid. My mom was um, president of the League of Women Voters, and then I grew up totally being aware of politics. And it, it's and as old as I am, this is the first really scary, scary election. That I'm having to deal with, and and your, what is your what is the chief source of that fear? Do you think? Oh, I know. I mean, the um, distrust of the government, the um, bold face lying, the meanness. The uh, it's, it's 
you know, I'm with David Brooks on this. <laughs> it's um, it's it's outrageous to me that this can keep going on. And as David Brooks said at one point, it's no longer the Republican Party; it's the party of sycophants. Uh, Albert Sabatini, um, I gather you share some of these concerns, and uh, uh, what um, is there any sort of organizational structure to, uh, you know, a group or uh, et cetera, which might uh, which might be uh, trying to get ready for any weirdness to be happening around this election, and and then we can talk about uh, a little bit about what might be done to counter. Um, some attempted coup, really, or something. Uh, are, are you part of a national effort, a statewide effort? Is this just springing up locally in a wide variety of places and ways around the country? Or, or talk to me about uh, that sort of organizational question for now. So um, about uh, the beginning of June, some friends of mine uh, who I'm still in regular contact with, uh, a Quaker organization out of the uh, Philadelphia has been organizing uh, around the country and networking with many other organizations uh, based on uh, research that has been done uh, outlining all scenarios for a coup. And they've come to the conclusion that there will be a power grab some kind of way. That uh, the the idea of election night is gone. A free, fair, and safe election uh, does not exist at this point, and they have analyzed on this all these scenarios and have come up with a, a, a number of well thought out strategies that have been based in um, previous coup attempts around the world, uh, and. Uh, a lot of the information and strategizing has come from the civil rights movements. Uh, and the, All right. Uh, well, uh, right, uh, uh, and we actually need it, to uh, uh, choose democracy. And uh, we've sent you a lot of the links that you'd be able to share with uh, folks if yeah. they choose to. Uh, Yep. Um, we need to take a brief break here for some uh, CBS News at the bottom of the hour, and uh, uh, we'll be back with our guests, uh, Albert Sabatini and Meredith Sumner, in uh, just a few minutes, folks. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. News Radio, WDEV, FM, and AM. Now back to the Dave Graham Show. We are back. My guests are Albert Sabatini and uh, Meredith Sumner, both Montpelier residents. They are involved in a in an effort to uh, essentially alert the citizenry, I think, to uh, the idea that our election may be uh, messed with in a big way, or the results may be messed with in a big way, or not responded to properly, or et cetera, any number of scenarios out there. And uh, trying to uh, get people to be thinking about what the uh, citizenry might do uh, in such an unusual and 
uh, unfortunate eventuality. So, um, Albert Sabatini, you were saying just before the break that uh, based on the research uh, you and affiliated folks have been doing, you it sounds like you expect that uh, there will be a power grab, that there won't be a smooth election this year. Uh, do you really think there's there's no chance that uh, we we could have an election go off sort of normally? Uh, you know, considering all of the uh, variables uh, in this scenario, uh, the groups that have done extensive uh, uh, research and role playing around this uh, uh, election are all but convinced, or how should I uh, say this, there is a, a high degree of certainty that there will be disruptions. Uh, the three scenarios um, that they've laid out, to, which are uh, red lines to be watching, is that the election day results are unclear, and Trump declares victory anyway. Election day results show significant irregularities and signs of tampering. Trump declares victory, and Trump loses the election but refuses to uh, leave office. And um, there's uh, essentially no, no. Um, I mean, the bottom line is that basically Trump, uh, his goal is to remain as president, uh, regardless of what uh, what the voters say. It sounds like. Uh, I, I, you know, we can you know quote his own words on uh, this particular thing. And Trump has made allusions to not heeding the results of the up and coming election. He's already used uh, right wing militias groups and peaceful demonstrations and um so and then threw a giant monkey wrench into the post office so uh, and even the head of the republican uh uh party here in our state was, uh, said that she didn't comment conclusively that she would honor the uh election either so um given all those uh you know uh, variabilities, uh, yeah, it looks like, unless, unless Biden wins by a landslide, then, you know, it'll go ahead smoothly. Uh, but besides that, it, it's not appearing to, uh, be going to go that way. And, uh, Meredith Sumner, um, you know, you talked to, uh, let's say a, a neighbor of yours here in Montpelier, uh, who says, well, what the heck can we do about it? And what's your answer to that? Well, um, the answer to that is, first of all, is vote, 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 vote early, um, deliver it. And, and clearly this is more for the country even than Vermont because um, we've had mail-in voting for a long time. The other thing is to learn um, details about, the, about how the whole process works and review information about government. Um, many people don't know anything about that, so they don't have any clear idea about how to deal with it. Um, um, the other things I would say is to like keep your keep your power people, your power politicians, feet to the fire, um, which is not a difficult thing to do here in Vermont because um, most of them are already on the on the issue of making sure that our elections are clear and fair and even and counted in time. And one of the biggest problems is probably the rest of the country where, or some of the states, 
some of the um, are don't even start counting their mail-in ballots until election night, which pushes the the um, results way into the future, possibly maybe a week, maybe a month. Who knows? So I think that that contacting even people in other states they know can be helpful. And the um, uh, what happens if we get the January twentieth? You know, the elections by then will be uh, a couple months in the rearview mirror. But but we have a president who is basically saying, "I'm not leaving office. I'm staying here in the White House." And uh, um, what then? Well, what then? I, I'm just—it's it's a horror show to even imagine that. But if it's true. If that does happen, it seems to me that even pretty diehard um, supporters of Trump will have to see that they're on a sinking ship. And it's also, it's also I, I'm pretty comfortable with the fact that the the military is not going to be at his beck and call to uh, maintain it. And that, and if he's still in the White House on the 20th of January, he's basically a trespasser. And uh, I guess it's. It's unclear and it, uh, what what can happen, but it's really scary what uh. might happen. <laughs> Suppose the uh, that the polls have it wrong. They did in 2016, or uh, and suppose that uh, uh, you know I've I've read of a phenomenon in which uh, some uh, supporters of President Trump haven't necessarily wanted to tell pollsters that they are supporters of President Trump and so maybe there's even more reason for the polls to be wrong What? and the, and the president gets re-elected will, will you all stand down? Yes <laughs> So our, our, uh, according to the research that's done uh, and uh, the things that ha- have happened in the past history, our greatest power lies in our unity with non-violent, uncooperative action. So when this happens, every man, woman, and child doesn't go to work. You just don't show up. You shut down the country, and that is going to be the key moment that will stop this in its track and turn it around. But it has to happen immediately, and we have to be disciplined and nonviolent and unified on this this effort. Well, let me make sure I understand. You're you're saying that I mean, let's imagine for a moment that that um, there is an election uh, in which uh, President Trump wins, and uh, there doesn't appear to be uh, any any um, likely scenario in which there was widespread fraud or rigging or whatever, um, and it's just a straight up election win for the Republican candidate. Um, you, you're saying that, that 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 would be met with a general strike, basically. Oh, I, I, no. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't I, I didn't under you know, I didn't understand your. Uh, I still thought that there was some irregularities that happened. Well, if he wins, he wins, and I don't think I can comment on the air what I would say to that. <laughs> uh, what, what, yeah, what, you know, you said the, the Lakers won, and you know that that's it, and then you know, and then. Uh, I guess we succeed or something. Uh, actually, um, I, I can interrupt. I think we sure. should take the high ground. If, if, if Trump wins, Trump wins. And that's what our whole voting system is about. And if he wins legitimately, um, we just have to suck it up and deal with um, other issues and, and 
that are, that the administration is dealing with that we find offensive. But I, I don't think we, I wouldn't want to take a stand against the legitimate election of Trump. Okay. I, I mean, I, that's, I think that's an important baseline here that, that, uh, uh, because, and that, that marks a difference between the stance that you are taking and, uh, the stance that, uh, the president is taking. It's basically the same question turned around, put to him. Uh, he's sort of saying, well, you know, we'll see what happens. He's not making any guarantees that, right. in fact, he would, uh, he would, I don't, you know, stand down and focus on other issues, as you put it, um, that, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's refusing to say that he would not, uh, try to stand in the way of a peaceful transfer of power. And so I do think that is a remarkable and, frankly, um, worrisome response from a president uh, to that question. And is that a reason to vote against a politician, uh, Albert Sabatini? For making comments like that? Yeah. I, I I would think anybody who is of sound mind uh, and uh, is interested in a democracy and uh, free and fair would that would be a, a, a monumental reason to vote against them. I believe we have a listener on the line. Is it John from Waitsfield? Hello. Hello. Uh, I think. I think we had a caller on the line. Uh, who is uh, a listener calling in? Um, yes, can you hear me? Is that Hello? John from Waitsfield? Yes. Good morning. Yes. Well, you ju- the lady just answered my question because for four years they've been trying to uh, to do everything they can against the, the uh, president, and she just said that she would accept uh if he's elected she would accept it i hope your other gentleman would say the same thing because since 2016 the democrats haven't accepted him being elected they've done everything in their power to uh discredit him from impeaching him trying to impeach him and and just generally be opposed to him even your radio station dave you you can't do any talk show without bringing up uh, the president and discrediting him so I'm glad to hear she'll accept it. I hope she continues to stay on that wavelength. Um, and, and John, do you feel like, like that uh, Democrats have not accepted, I mean, have, have resorted to uh, any kind of violence? Or, uh, you know, this, we're talking, when you talk about the peaceful transfer of power, uh, did Democrats oppose the peaceful transfer of power? No, I don't think there's any problem with uh, if he loses, he'll leave the office. This is all media hype uh, with the uh, fake news, as he says, as the president's been saying for four years. They don't. They don't uh, only give one side. They've they've hated this president since he was elected. They didn't think he was going to beat Hillary Clinton, and uh, they haven't given him a fair shot. And you don't give him credit for what he's done for the country, the economy before the pandemic, all the other things he's that done on his promises. So give him some credit for what he's done for once. Okay, thanks for the call, John. Uh, let's see, um, Albert Sabatini. What, what about you? Do you agree with Meredith that uh, if Trump wins outright, uh, you know, in this election, um, that it's it's just time to uh, uh, stand down and maybe go uh, go and uh, you know re uh, re uh, 
double your efforts to, uh, I don't know, educate the American voter or something. Yes, I would a lot honor the uh, uh, the fair, uh, free, respected, and safe election. If that's it's how a, it turns out. You're not you're not answering that by saying. Uh, I mean, the president was basically. I I think the words were there won't be any any transfer of power. There'll be yeah. a continuation of power, and um and that's a level of confidence which um could either be just <laughs> extreme confidence or it could be uh, something else. And I think one of the things that's worrisome to a lot of folks is that there is a lack of clarity about that um uh, so can I, I wanted to say something that i agree sure. with you one of the yeah. biggest concerns was having heard trump say it over and over again he said there's a big problem with those mail-in ballots and if they got rid of them um the election would be fair and there would be no um, transition it would be a continuation which is just to me a total threat that he will if he does not win, he's going to claim the um, election's fraudulent and just perpetuate a lot of um, chaos and unpleasantness and, and perhaps violence from both his you know extremes on the right and extremes on the left. And I think that we in the middle who are sane, hopefully, um, will just hold on and take the, the moral high ground and keep going. And if if, pre- if Trump is reelected legitimately and fairly. There still will be protests, like last, like January 2017. There still will be protests, but it doesn't mean that you don't accept the election if the American population votes him in again. We get a question from a listener come in, uh, which was basically, "What happens if uh, one of the two uh, presidential nominees, uh, Democrat Joe Biden or uh, the uh, Republican?" Uh, incumbent uh, Donald Trump uh, were to die between now and the election and uh, I am not 100% sure what happens in such a case I don't believe it's ever happened in American history but uh, um, perhaps uh, Albert Sabatini or uh, or Meredith Sumner one of my two guests might have a guess on this front what do you uh, what do you know what do you think so it says here that no president, no presidential candidate of a major party has ever died or withdrawn from the presidential election. No president has ever died or withdrawn after winning the general election. However, there was one vice president that died after he was nominated. But before the general election, the party nominated somebody else. There are procedural findings, replacements for candidates are guided by federal and state laws. They are not. They are not exactly a patchwork, but they involved in response. Hmm. Well, that's uh, that's interesting. So, is it? I mean, let's just imagine that uh, uh, the president had suffered when he caught the coronavirus just a little over a week ago, or a couple weeks ago now. Um, if he had suffered uh, a great deal more and had actually died from it. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not certain that uh, Mike Pence would then then be the presidential candidate, or uh, what do we understand? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's never happened during the course of an election. Shortly thereafter, and issues like that. Huh. Interesting. Wow. Um, it says Congress thought 
through the rules for succession of a president when the office is vacated during midterm. But, yeah. Hmm. Um, Meredith Sumner, do you have any anything to add here? Um, yes, um, I, I actually don't think we know. <laughs> um, we have to base it this on uh, rules of the Electoral College, of the, of the um, Congress, and since it's not happened when a, a candidate has died before the election, um, if mm-hmm. the guy after, it would be an issue. Dave, can I, I read you this one line here? Uh, sure, Albert, go ahead. It says, since the time of Andrew Jackson's run for our presidency in 1828, individual political parties have the job of filling any vacancy on their national ticket, either that or other presidential or vice presidential candidates. If one of their candidates vacates the ticket, after they are nominated, either because of death or withdrawal, the party has to select the replacement. So there would have to be a whole another selection process to happen. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. And that's, right. uh, that, that would be, uh, that's in the bylaws and the rules of, uh, those are, that's Other, federal like law or? the Republican Democratic Party. So we would have to, uh, that would be a nightmare going through a whole other election process, huh? Yeah, and I, I don't know. Uh, would you have a primary season again and uh, a convention? I I just don't know uh, whether that. I mean, that clearly would be a difficult thing to pull off in the three weeks we have remaining between now and election day. So uh, who the heck knows? But yikes! Yikes! <laughs> let's ho- let's hope it doesn't let's happen. Just, is it? You can't write this stuff, Dave. Yeah, let's let's hope it doesn't. There's enough weirdness surrounding this upcoming election. I I don't think we need. Another layer of it. So uh, we will uh, thank uh, thank our listener Karen from Hardwick for that question. But let's just hope we don't have to answer it. Thank you very much. Um, so uh, Albert Sabatini, um, you're uh, obviously concerned about the conduct of the upcoming election, um, and you're uh, once again you, you're you're saying that your you know your research has indicated it's pretty certain. That we are not going to have uh, a uh, a transfer of power as smooth as that of, say, uh, George H. W. Bush to Bill Clinton in 1992. Correct. Yes, the the, the new normal is not normal. Um, and Meredith Sumner, um, your your sense of, uh, I mean, would you share in the in this idea of a of a call for Basically, I think what they've called in European countries historically a general strike. Uh, would that be exactly. uh, a way to uh, kind of get at it? Uh, you mean get at an unfair election that Trump claims is his? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that a peaceful, massive, unified, cohesive, nonviolent strike, and it can start small and get big as it's needed, is 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 a fair and useful way to um, try to thwart the president and his. And you think you think people actually will people actually honor this and, and honor such a strike? I don't um, honor it. I mean, will people participate in it? Yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. I, I well, look what happened. Even when Trump was first elected, and we didn't know what we were getting for sure. Um, yeah. There was a, there was so much 
energy, and if if if, if this happens for four more years, I suspect that there will be a lot a lot of um, support. And I also am a bit fearful that um, if that horror scenario um, becomes reality, <laughs> that, that there will be a lot of violence, too. So, which I've mentioned Yikes. before, that the people doing a strike or striking or shutting down will um, have to stay peaceful. We are about the end of the show, uh, out of time. Uh, Albert Sabatini and Meredith Soner, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's great chatting with you. Uh, thank that's you about it for today's edition you. of the Dave Graham Show. Stay tuned now for Bill Sayer, Common Sense Radio. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Mm-hmm.